Welcome to season two of Cold Case MHS. Wrong time, wrong place, mistake. I'm your host, Randy Hubbard, an instructor of Cold Case MHS. And my new co-host is... Ashton Gigliotti, and we thank you for listening. December 27th of 2008, Priscilla Don Hickman, also referred to as Dondi, was last seen in person by her family at a holiday party. A time filled with joy and celebration turned sour quickly. Generosity is a great human quality to have. Someone who gives to others, even if it's not in their best interest, is really hard to find these days. But what if your generosity stabs you in the back? Welcome back to Cold Case MHS. We thank you for listening. Today, I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves. I'm Sarah Morris. I'm a senior. I'm Holly Zoik, and I'm also a senior. So what do you guys think about the Ohio weather we're having right now? Um, it's nice some days and then bad the others, but I really like when it reached like 70 degrees that one Saturday. So It's still too cold. Yeah, and then it gets cold. <laughs> then it gets cold right after that. It's kind of like having a, a sibling. You're not sure what they're going to be like in the morning. could be really bright and sunny or really cold. Let's talk a little bit about your case and what you've done. I know that we're talking about Dondi Hickman, correct? I know that you guys have done a lot of great research talking about her case and contacting people. Tell us about Dondi. So she definitely was a bubbly person and a very generous person. Everyone really liked to be around her. Very positive, fun-loving. She was always the favorite aunt, as her sister described her. She was very non-confrontational. And she was not very negative at all. She was definitely a glass half full kind of person. She did not have a lot of financial wealth, but she always made sure that the people in her life felt as if they were wealthy and she wanted to make everybody happy. She seems like a very pleasant person. Yes, she really does. And it seems like she always wanted to help other people. That's a sign of a really good person. But this also makes her a possible target for someone to take advantage of. With that, let's get into the crime scene. So Dondi was found in her closet wrapped in her own sheets. They believe, well, she was strangled to death with a ligature. We'll get into that further in this podcast because it's a very interesting story about how that was revealed. They revealed through forensics, even though the crime scene was like all cleaned up and it was like a very organized crime, that they believe there was a struggle in the kitchen. As she was found wrapped in her sheet, and like Sarah said, she her cause of death ultimately was strangle, strang, strangulation by ligature. The sheets that she was wrapped in were, all, were very bloody, and under her fingernails, and just she was covered in blood. She was found wrapped in her sheets, but she was also upside down with her face covered, so her feet were what you saw when you first opened the door. So one of the main things we found out from the phone call with Michelle, her sister, the way they realized that it was a ligature, the police even asked the sister in the family if Dondi owned a lot of belts. So that's why we believe that the ligature was by a belt and that's how she was strangled to death. Another really weird occurrence was the neighbor, the only one 
that gave a sketch of the suspect left in the middle of the night. The family packed up all their stuff and just moved to Pickerington, we believe. And that was just really odd because I don't know why they'd be scared or they would just leave in the middle of the night. So we also thought that was truly, truly odd. So when they left in the middle of the night, was that shortly after she was found? Uh, yeah. I think that the sisters said that it was like a day after giving the sketch, they just picked up their stuff and left, like the whole family, not just one member. Like the one member who gave like the sketch, it wasn't just him who left, it was literally the whole family. Wow, so the dad sounded like somebody was afraid of somebody. So it sounds like it could have been somebody who's been in that area a lot. Mm -hmm. So Listening to them describe the crime scene is super interesting because we spend a great deal of time in class studying the process of looking deep into the crime scene. We do. And it sounds like this is an organized killer, but they seem to have remorse leaving her face down so they didn't have to see her face. True, and what does that mean? This can mean something like a personal connection. Describe a little bit about where she was living and so that we'd understand where she was found. So she was, she was like located in Heath, Ohio, and Heath, Ohio is like a blue collar town, lots of like industrial factories there with a population of like 11,000. So it's like a very small community where everybody does know everyone. Dondi within Heath was in Licking County and she was living in what is sort of a trailer park. Her house wasn't very big, it was kind of like a mobile home. So there wasn't really a lot of room within that area that she had. When we started looking up these cases, there's nearly 5,000 of them on the website. What drew you to Dondi's case and why did you think this was a good one to research? Well, I just thought it was interesting that they had like a sketch of the suspect, even though it's just like a wild out theory that that was the main person who did kill her. But like at first glance, I thought there was a lot of evidence, which I thought was really interesting for a cold case, so I kind of wanted to look into that. But further going into it, there's a lot of like, just like holes through like the whole story, so there's just like a lot of gaps in between the case, so that's very interesting. We normally see this with cold cases. They may seem simple from the start, but the further you dive down, the more you see why they may have gone cold. That makes the research process so frustrating and intriguing, because you're always wanting to find more. And that's the appeal of the class. It's a cold case. It's a cold, cold case. We're actually sitting in the room where they have their whiteboard, and you have a lot of things on there that you started with very little, and then all of a sudden your board kind of filled up pretty quick. Talk to us about how you started, what were the first things you did, and then what happened that you all of a sudden got all this information at one time. So really what gave us the most information was when we finally were able to get a hold of Dundee's sister. She was kind of the person who gave us the most information we got out of anybody. She gave us the main suspects, she gave us the most victimology, she gave us most of this crime scene setup. Like, she had more information than we could find. It took a while for us to actually contact her. We tried to contact her through Facebook and everything else. And actually, she wasn't the first person we tried to contact. The first people we tried to contact were the Licking County Crime Stoppers, who turned us away and told us to talk to the police. So we tried to contact the police. They did not want to speak to us, and they actually told us to stop contacting them. So our last resort was her sister, because she was the only person that we could find connected to her case. Her parents are no longer with us. I mean, we couldn't find any more connection to her family. And we finally got a hold of her sister on LinkedIn, actually. And she just was who we got all of our information from and how we filled up that board. Speaking about her sister, what were some things that she gave you that you didn't find elsewhere? And also, how did she help you with your victimology? So she definitely gave us a lot of information, especially like 
one of the forensics crime scenes because I was like nowhere to be found. And especially the timeline, she kind of like helped us get a vague view of what truly did happen in those like two weeks of her disappearance and all that. Victimology, she just really described her sister as like a great person and all that, and I think that really helped and kind of gave us an view in her life. She also gave us describing her relationship with her ex-husband, Jeff, who she was like very close with. Everyone in the family liked Jeff, so we kind of ruled him out of being a suspect. And then her ex-husband was in jail for vehicular manslaughter. We kind of obviously had to get him out because like he couldn't have done that if he was in jail. But yeah, she definitely gave us a lot in the timeline, and she definitely gave us a lot of like things that we would have never found on the news, like stuff the police did, just weird things about the crime and everything. Yeah, she definitely gave us, I think the most important information we got from her was about the police and how they went about do, like going through this case. Now this information from Donnie's sister is invaluable to the research of our students. These details give us the opportunity to analyze the crime to possibly see if there's something that can be passed on to the police. Does Donnie's sister remember anything that maybe the police overlooked? Is there a name that still needs to be checked? Was there any stone unturned? You mentioned victimology. Explain to our, our listeners what victimology is and how did Dondi's background possibly put her in a bad situation? Victimology is when you find out information about your victim and how they were as a person, like their personality traits, how they lived their life, things like that, that might lead to a reason that they were in the situation they were put in. With Dondi, she, uh, along with being a really kind person, she also is very naive and very trusting of people she shouldn't be. She would often let people that she barely knew stay on her couch or stay in her house because they needed somewhere to stay and she just opened up her home and opened up her heart to everybody and we ultimately believe that this is the reason she was killed because of her naive and nice nature. And you talked a little bit about this story has some strange twists and turns along the way. After talking to you I thought there were some really weird things that happened with the time she supposedly was went missing to the time that she was found so could you tell about the holes and the things that just didn't make sense from that time period. The 27th of December of 2008 is like her last known sighting of her with her family and all that. It was at a holiday party. And then January 5th is the suspected murder date. Her perpetual calendar wasn't flipped and her sister described that as something Dondi would do every day. Like it was a habit and she would never break that. And one of the things of her case is that the police did call on January 15th, saying there were no footprints in and out of the house and Dondi wasn't walking her dog. And on January 5th, there was no snow, so obviously footprints wouldn't be seen. January 6th is rent, was like when rent was due, so that's just something important because further down the timeline, people of like the management of Rent Creek home were like walking in and out, trying to get rent and trying to see what was going on. 15th, the neighbors called the police because Dondi wasn't walking her dog and wasn't entering in and out of the house. The 16th, the sister went in to just check on the dogs and just check to see if Dondi left anything. One thing they said that the trailer was very cold, which was odd, and there were dog feces everywhere, and the house was oddly clean as the sister described it, so that was just something we took note of. The 18th, she went back to the house and she noticed the sheets were stripped, which is like really interesting, like half stripped. And as we further said in the beginning of this podcast, she was wrapped in her own sheets. And on the 19th is when Michelle found Dondi in her closet. So there's just a lot of weird timeline holes, how people were walking in and out through that time. So there's just a lot of like tampered evidence. 
And there's just a lot of other odd occurrences. One thing we have to do when we talk to family members is to make sure that we have the information correct. Michelle contacted me and let me know that she actually found Dondi on the 18th. And that's important when you start talking about decomposition timeline. Okay, so in class, we talk about the seven S's of crime scene protocol. Ashlyn, from what you learned in class, tell us what is wrong with the information they just gave us about the crime scene. Well, it seems sort of strange to me that the first responder didn't secure the trailer, meaning they let people come in and out randomly. They also evidently didn't search the whole trailer since they ended up finding her body days later. There were definitely some avoidable oversights in the early stages of this case. From our research on crime scene protocol and talking to police officers, we thought possibly there could have been some mistakes made. But what we did not take into consideration is that Gandhi's case was actually considered a missing persons case first. In that case, the police do not have the ability to seal off the scene or to keep people out of there such as landlords, family members, and friends. Not until it's deemed a crime scene can they actually do that. This just really reminded us, as Sarah said, there are people walking in and out. This reminded us of the JonBenet Ramsey case where it wasn't treated as a homicide case at the beginning, it was actually treated as a missing persons case. So landlords, policemen, neighbors, friends, everybody was allowed to walk in and out of the house. We really just think that this tampered with so much evidence that could have been found. And it's also very odd that nobody thought to look in rooms for her. As I was listening to that, the other thing I thought was kind of strange is she said there was dog feces everywhere, but yet the place seemed oddly clean. That to me is kind of strange. And then the fact that even her sister didn't check the bedroom first. I don't know if that seems kind of strange to you, but did she ever explain why she didn't check the back room or anything? I don't believe so. I just think she was just checking on the dogs because she said like Dondi's also free-spirited and she didn't always answer her phone. So maybe she thought she went off with maybe another person or someone. So she, I believe she thought Dondi was safe with someone. So I don't think she truly thought to look around. Would she have done that with her dog, though? Would she go somewhere with somebody and just leave the dog there? See, she was also described as an animal lover, so that's one thing that was kind of weird. Because, like, I don't think she would have just left her dog. Like, I think she would have tried to contact someone to take care of her dog or even her sister or, like, a neighbor. So that's just really odd. And she also ran a dog grooming business within her home. One thing you mentioned to me before when we were talking about the case, the time period was cold. Her trailer was cold. What was the one thing that her sister said they didn't think about because it didn't come to their senses at the time, if you remember? What happens to a body over a period? Oh, it didn't smell like death. She said okay. that. It did not smell like death. And that's just, obviously, I just feel like someone had to think about that. Like, someone had to know what they were doing. I don't know. I just feel like... No, that's right. Like, they had to be organized, cleaning up the case that well with, like, no forensic evidence. And then it, it was obviously cold, so it, like, didn't smell like death. Like, these people had to kind of know what they were doing. So most likely, what did they do to the heat? Turn they turn it off. Which tells you a little bit about the person. One, you said they're organized. They had to be somewhat smart to realize that leaving it cold like that, she wouldn't decompose. I actually remember doing that while I was in forensics. You set out pork roast in the woods near the high school and the class went out to observe. They were put in places where we could see a temperature difference between the fake bodies. In the area with the highest temperature, the decomposition was accelerated. In the areas with lower temperatures, the decomposition was slower. In this case, we know Dondi was left in the cold for several days which greatly decreases the speed of decomposition. It's a cold case. It's a cold, cold case. I thought the strange part is that she was upside down in the closet. I could see where somebody picks her up and kind of lays her in there, but 
upside down. Did they ever say the reason why they thought she was like that? So we actually, like, there's no reason that we were given, but through research, we believe that this happened because it was a personal attack on Dondi. It was somebody that she knew because it has been studied that when somebody is strangled or stabbed or something like that, that is usually personal that because that's more of a personal attack than just, you know, shooting someone. We believe because of the way she was killed, the struggle that went along with it, the way she was wrapped up and not just thrown in there, and the way that she was upside down with her face covered made us believe that they did not want to look at her while she was dying. They returned back to the crime scene. They did not want to have to see her face like that, that this was something more out of rage than it was just like a random murder. Tell us a little bit about the rejection part that you got. How did that make you feel when you tried to get information and nobody would speak to you? Definitely shut down a little because it kind of like sucks when you try to contact someone like especially the police and be like hey is there any chance if you could just help us a little bit and they're immediately like no and this rejection thing is like commonly seen throughout this case the police didn't show the family the autopsy which we thought was kind of weird they rejected the fbi's help which we also thought was weird there's just a lot of like rejection in this case so we just kind of like thought that was really odd one thing that i will say is that and I'll talk about this with some of the other ones, is that in no way are we accusing the police of doing anything wrong. Unfortunately, there are mistakes a lot of times that are made. They're human just like everybody else. Sometimes there might be other things going involved. We don't know that. One thing that we do know is in the state of Ohio, it is Ordinance 149.43 that says that they could give us information, but they don't have to. And they usually say things like, it's still an open case. To me, there's a difference between open and actually active, and that's something we'll talk about a little bit later. I haven't had the opportunity to actually be a student in cold case yet, but from what I hear, it's a pretty unique class. It offers opportunities that most high school classes don't. Yeah, it is different for sure. I'm the teacher, and I'm still learning things every day. Let's hear from Sarah and Holly about some of their experiences in class. As you did this research, and you were able to talk to her sister. What are some of the things you felt like you learned along the way, not only about Dondi and her sister, just about yourself, about the class, about what you can do with this in the future? We definitely learned that it's a lot harder than you would think it is to find information. It's a constant battle between you and whoever you're trying to get information from or the internet because some websites will tell you the phone number of someone, but there's like 12 of them listed or you have to pay like $10 to see this information. We definitely learned that it's hard. It's really hard to find information, when, especially when you your only connection to the police, you can't get, they won't help you. I think we worked together a lot and we worked really well together on this case and I think we both learned that we, when we are working together, we can get stuff done because we did get a lot of information despite all of the hardships and the roadblocks and people not helping us. Mine was definitely trying to think outside the box and just think of like different questions or like different people to contact, especially when like your main person who knows like all the info shuts you down. I just feel like we both thought really well outside the box and just working together as Holly said, just worked really well together and we worked off each other. Especially when we had like one really good day where we found her sister on LinkedIn, like just kept like throwing ideas at each other and just kept finding new evidence. So I think that was really nice. From the information that you've gathered, do you ever think they will be able to find 
that piece of evidence or get somebody to say the right thing that we could possibly get an end to this story? I think it is possible, but also the number one suspect did pass away in 2018. Now let me clarify that just a bit. That main suspect is who we think committed the crime, not the police. The police have never named a suspect, and if they did, they probably would not release that to the public. So that makes it a little difficult. Obviously, he's just a suspect. We don't know because there's not enough information that can be put together with the puzzle pieces to prove that it was him. So if it wasn't him, it is possible. If it was, you know, you're kind of at a dead end. The number one detective on the case, she retired early after this case was shut. She, it was like 20, 30 years early. Like it was really young and now nobody can contact her. You can't find her information anywhere. You can't get any information from her or from the police department. And she, when she, she was the only person who really like was helping the family with this case and the really wanted to help it get solved. So do you guys have any final thoughts about Nandi, about the class, about her sister and family that you would like our listeners to hear? I definitely want to thank her sister Michelle for giving us so much information and like opening herself up to our questions and just being like a really caring person and just helping us with this so much. And it was just nice to have someone to actually give us like the true story of your sister and the victim. We thank you for joining us. Like we said, if anybody out there knows anything, if you have a contact of somebody that knows what happened that night, please contact the police department. Or if you're afraid to do that, please contact us and we'll pass that on to the police department. I'll make sure to put all that information in the notes so that you can get a hold of them. Dondi obviously was a very well-liked individual. People loved her. Her family misses her, and it's a case that has been going on for a long time. If anybody could give us that one key piece of information, we really appreciate it, and we thank you. I want to thank Sarah and Holly for their work on Dondi's case. I also want to thank my new co-host, Ashlyn. Thank you for joining me, Ashlyn. I would like to thank Mark Ryber, retired police detective who's always buzzing my phone, keeping me active on the case that him and I are working on together. Hopefully soon we'll have a story we can tell you of all the work that we've done on this case. The artwork for this podcast was done by former MHS student Emma Holbert. The background music of this podcast is provided by Purple Planet Music. The theme song Cold Case was written and performed by former MHS student Miss Jenna Brandt and produced by Noria. This song and all of Jenna's music can be heard on all music streaming media. Join us next time with episode 4 gone fishing. When Chelsea Johnson goes fishing, it becomes a deadly catch. It said that she went fishing yeah. in that area with... So her, her and her grandpa fished a lot, and the neighbor said that she told him the day before that she was going fishing at that creek. Okay, and now according to Joey, when she said she was going fishing, that might have been code for I'm going to get some money and get some heroin from so that's where they would end up going fishing down in that area. Now, that area is just a small little creek. Wrong time, wrong place, mistakes. Cold case, now a chase, no breaks. Unsafe is the faith in the faith. It's a cold case. It's a cold, cold case. You're as sick as your secrets in a lie.
Feel eyes on you, watching you, waiting to reveal 